Welcome to the Live Like Jesus podcast. I'm your host, Lynn Wilson. Today is episode five. We are excited about today, which we are calling the eternity question. This whole season, we are talking about how to be a public Christian, which, you know, as you are, if you're somewhere besides under a rock, you understand what that means. I mean, sometimes uh, we don't uh, know what it means to be a public Christian anymore, it seems like. We have uh, some examples of Christianity in the public square that are are poor, uh, to be generous in the term, and other times in which we find folks that are very sincere in their faith and their convictions but feel privatized. They feel like they are not allowed or don't uh, have the means or don't feel equipped uh, to know what it means to be a Christian in the public square. Uh, today's episode is about the eternity question, and what we mean by that is that when it comes to you know, questions of ultimate value or questions of eternity, uh, the conversation shifts. Uh, folks who may be uh, unopened to a dialogue about Christian faith or about Jesus sometimes make a shift there as uh, they get closer to eternity. Things that they would not have embraced or not have even considered suddenly become things that they want to embrace or want to consider. And so today's guest is somebody who has uh, a good amount of experience dealing with this eternity question and talking to people at moments in which the veil is thin, in which the, this world and the eternal world uh, are very close. Our guest today is Reverend Scott Simons. Uh, Scott has been in ministry for 30 years, uh, has quite a fascinating resume of study in Oxford, uh, multiple master's degrees, has studied New Testament theology, ancient Judaism. He's an elder in the Church of Nazarene. Uh, for several years now, was serving at Lakewood Naz in Denver, but is in the middle of a transition, and in November will be starting as pastor of discipleship equipping and life groups at Eagle Nazarene, which is near Boise, Idaho. Eagle is one of the prominent, more flagship churches in the Nazarene tradition. In addition to this resume, and the reason we're so excited to talk to, uh, to, talk, to, talk to Scott today, is he has several years of experience as a hospice chaplain. Um, my own father was a chaplain for many years in the VA system, but we'll get into that because there's a lot to talk about with uh, Scott on this question. So let's get Scott on here and start this conversation. Up. Scott, welcome. Yeah, thank you, Lynn. Great to be here with you. We're uh, just now getting to know one another. Sometimes I have to tell our audience, sometimes uh, the guests and I have spent a good amount of time together, but in our case, we're just getting to know one another. Uh, you're the father of one of our invite team members, Josiah Simons, who's sitting behind the scenes right now, making sure that we look good today and we sound good. That's right. So uh, thankful <laughs> for Josiah's service here to this conversation. Uh, when yeah, we were starting the season, we were talking about this theme and this question, and Josiah immediately said, oh, we have to talk to my dad. Um, so he was thinking about your experience, I suppose, in the hospice environment. So acquaint us with what that means. Right, good. Yeah, I had an opportunity when I was pastoring in Colorado Springs to also serve uh, as a hospice chaplain, uh, working with Interim Hospice, which is a, a secular company, but uh, came on as the chaplain uh, as part of a team. So the way hospice works is if an individual uh, is deemed to be within six months of the end of life, and if that is confirmed by two physicians, then they can move into that hospice care, which is a philosophy of care, um, something that I had been familiar with because I'd been a pastor for a number of years and had had parishioners that had gone on to hospice. But uh, like, like many people, I thought of, well, hospice is just those last few days and, and even that hospice was a, a place uh, to come to find out that hospice is really more of a philosophy of care mm. that is providing um, relief of pain and anxiety at the end of life, uh, which could be six months. And sometimes we even had patients that stayed on a service up to a year, sometimes even more. And, uh, and I came on as part of a care team, which was really pretty, uh, a pretty cool experience that we had, of course, our hospice physician. We had nurses, uh, RNs, as well as uh, 
Uh, often it would be a, an RN that would serve as the case manager of the whole team for each patient. Uh, but then we had our social worker, we had our, uh, our care aides that would provide a lot of the physical care directly. And then there was spiritual care, which I thought was very interesting because Medicare is, our, our hospice is a Medicare program. So it's a government program, but a recognition that at the end of life, when people are really thinking about, uh, you know, coming to the end, that there's a recognition that spiritual pain and anxiety is every bit as important as physical or emotional or other issues that they are going through. So my role as hospice chaplain was to come in for primarily the patient, but also for their whole family and to walk them through the spiritual questions about end of life, about eternity, about what lies beyond, and uh, to really step into that place. So it meant that I had to get uh, really good at asking uh, very intimate questions and build rapport very quickly, because in some cases, these were people that had a few days, a few hours even. Sometimes I would have patients that that had several months and we could actually build a full relationship. Uh, but it was a very interesting uh, uh, scenario, whereas as a, a pastor, where I had built relationship over several years, and, and of course I had parishioners that passed away and I was there at bedside, uh, that, was, that was a very different role. Um, as a pastor, you know that you're coming in um, and, and you've built a relationship and you're really holding their hand as they move into eternity. As a hospice chaplain, you come in cold and you have to build that relationship with the patient, with the family, earn their trust very quickly. Uh, so this idea of the eternity question and learning to ask questions of those uh, individuals. And, and it, was, it was my role was to identify are there places of pain or anxiety in the spiritual realm uh, for this patient? And so there was frequently times where the nurse would call me and say, we have tried different medications, we've tried different interventions, and they're not working. Can you go out and identify if there is a, a spiritual issue here with a patient that may be struggling, that might be anxious, that might be uh, you know, finding themselves uh, really wrestling with those things? So I really learned a lot. You know, I think about for your audience, there's probably a lot of those that are in pastoral ministry or doing a lot of care. Uh, even if they're lay people. And there's sometimes where you, you walk in and you, you're thinking, boy, what do I say here? Right. And uh, so that, that question of eternity uh, really would come up very frequently in thinking about um, things that they might be anxious about. Uh, so that really was my role, uh, was providing spiritual care for the patient. But then I was also providing care for the family as well. And that would extend, of course, even after the, the death of the patient and continuing to keep in touch with the family for uh, uh, up to a year, up to 13 months after the death of the patient and walking them through that process as well. So really the, the eternity questions really came from a variety of places then, not only what was the patient dealing with, but also the, the questions of their family. So while I might be dealing with an individual that perhaps has a cancer diagnosis and they've come to a place of peace in that, you might have a granddaughter that says, why did God give my, my grandpa cancer? Right. And I'm trying to answer those questions as well. Uh, oftentimes the family would bring me in then to, uh, to do the memorial service and, and then to continue to stay in touch with them. Um, the, the difference also, you know, in, in terms of my approach as a pastor, you're coming in very clearly with, uh, I'm coming as a Christian pastor, but in hospice, because it's a Medicare program, you have to provide spiritual care that is relevant to whatever the needs and belief systems are of the patient and their family. And that became very interesting because sometimes I would walk in and they were Christian. Other times they might be Jewish, they might be Buddhist, uh, and varieties of Christian. They might be, uh, they might be Catholic, or they may be coming from, you know, a Jehovah's Witness or Mormon perspective. Uh, other times, it, frequently, I found they had really no belief system at all. And so then finding a way to address those questions of the spiritual nature um, in that wide variety really um, was a good challenge. 
I want to get to some of the more prescriptive things in a little bit here, Scott, uh, yeah. maybe some advice you might offer some of our listeners who might be in similar situations. But before we get there, I want to set the stage a little bit more. Uh, being a chaplain, I mentioned here in the intro that my father was a chaplain for many years. He went into chaplaincy after serving as an officer in Vietnam for two tours. So his chaplaincy mm-hmm. was specifically geared towards veterans. And I would yeah. walk the hospital wards with him as a teenager. And they weren't um, hospice, but it was end of life, you know, in many situations. And, and kind of encountering firsthand how this veil is thin. And one of the things that my dad told me, which was not a saying that originated with him, but it was it surely stuck with me at that time, is he said, there's no atheists in foxholes. That's right. Uh, so <laughs> I'm sure you're familiar with this this idea, right? So folks who can For who sure. can sit in comfortable or even lofty spaces most of their lives and talk philosophically about God, and uh, and maybe they're claim to be agnostics or you know they don't claim a belief system, but some of that kind of um, wall tends to break down as you get to the end of life. Has uh, is, is that been your experience? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's a that was for me one of the real privileges was to serve as a chaplain, a hospice chaplain, um, you know, which is a little different than that military chaplain role uh, for a lot of veterans. Uh, Colorado Springs is a, a city that has a lot of uh, military presence there, so I was frequently working with Marines, Army, Air Force, a variety mm-hmm. of veterans. Yes, uh, frequently they were World War II, Korea, uh, uh, Vietnam. And uh, I always counted that uh, a particular privilege to work with those veterans. And what I found definitely for them, I mean, there's that there's that ethos in the military of you're stoic, uh, your emotions don't get to you, you know, everything is good. Uh, but but I definitely found those were the cases where I would try to make sure, especially with the men, <laughs> to make sure that I caught them at a time when no one else was home. Uh, they oftentimes, you know, they had told the stories uh, about their service to their family, but there was always those few things that they were holding back. And so it was in those quiet, private moments that I would just ask, hey, I'm just here as your chaplain. We recognize uh, where this is going. You know, let's be, let's be very upfront about this. Your body is beginning to fail, but let's talk about your spirit. Let's talk about your soul. Where are you at? What are some places that you need uh, to, to find to find rest? And oh, there were so many things there. Oftentimes, they were carrying guilt over the things that they had done, whether they were just following orders or whether they were involved in, uh, in, in something, some kind of experience that they had. Right. Um, so to work through and kind of serve as a sounding board, to serve as really a confessional kind of idea, something we're not real familiar with in the evangelical world, but I frequently found myself saying, let's, let's do this as a, as a confessional. They were sharing things that, that they had done. Or the other one equally as often was survivor's guilt uh, that, you know, my buddy didn't make it home, but I did. And here it was decades later, and those veterans were still carrying a lot of survivor's guilt and really needed to kind of find some absolution there. So those were the two places where I really uh, prayed with a lot of those veterans and, and felt like, man, that was such, a, such an honor to be able to be their bedside. And, and they frequently said, these are stories I've never told anybody and uh, to share with that. The other pieces I found there is how difficult it was for a lot of those vets as they were coming home to come back into civilian life. And so they would share how difficult it was to come back and, and try to enter in as a, as a spouse, as a parent, uh, as a grandparent. And they were carrying some guilt over those things as well. And to kind of give them that opportunity to say, okay, where are places where maybe you brought some of the pain that you experienced or some of the, the baggage that you're carrying back into your civilian life uh, where it wasn't always relevant and, and maybe made you angry, made you uh, susceptible to, uh, uh, to uh, abusive substances and those kinds of things. So, um, yeah, that's so true, Len. I, I really felt that with those veterans, 
there was a, there was often a lot of places where we could talk through some of those things. And I had to just kind of get past some crusty exteriors a little bit there, <laughs> right. uh, exactly. try to build a, build a relationship and say, Hey, listen, everything you're sharing with me is confidential, but recognize it's me, you and the Holy spirit. And we're here present in this place and use this as an opportunity to just unburden those things that, that you have. And, um, probably to me, one of the, one of the, you know, most meaningful things is when a family member would say after some of those meetings, you know, I don't know what you said to my dad, but man, he just seems so much more at peace now. Um, mm. So, Tell us yeah, a story about that. I've, I've been dying to hear a specific story here, Scott. So, so some moment yeah. in which you were speaking to someone and you really felt the Spirit's presence, you felt a shift, you felt an openness to eternity where there maybe had not been before. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, one one that I really uh, remember, there was a gentleman who had been serving in the European theater. He'd been in Italy, and uh, he was on board uh, a ship that was hit with a torpedo. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the and the, the ship went down, and most of the the uh, the sailors on board uh, went down with the ship, but he was able to be rescued. Uh, so in his case, he was carrying that survivor's guilt of um, why was I the one that was able to survive when all these other men and women uh, did not. Right. So I walked back through that, and I said, okay, let's let's pick it up from there. What are some things in your life uh, that that you have? have done some things that you've been able to make a difference. And so we walked through his marriage and we walked through him raising kids. We walked through how he served his community as a a business leader and went back and said, okay, I I know you feel that guilt that you couldn't save more, but think about the life that you have lived. Think about the way that you have impacted. And so, you know, we were able to to get to that place where he was kind of able to look back with a sense of, of some satisfaction, some accomplishment, and then also take it to the present day and say, okay, we can't change the past, but God is here. God is present. Um, can we just pray through and ask the Lord to, uh, to bring healing to your heart? And so I just led him in a, in a very simple prayer. And he's, oh, pastor, I don't know how to pray. You're going to have to help me. And I said, all right, let's do that. <laughs> and and so just say, okay, what are the things you feel guilty about? Just tell them to God. What are the things? And and so in that case, I mean, that was amazing to think about. You know, I I felt like I was I was sitting there and saving Private Ryan or something next right. to this guy who had somehow survived. And uh, and 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 to think about that, and then at the end to just say, you know, thank you. Uh, the what you gave. Uh, was is part of the the freedom that I have, and so that I I think that's something that I I still use that even in my ministry, you know you sometimes go in as a pastor and you're not sure what to say, and I think my my time as a hospice chaplain has given me more um, permission, more boldness mm-hmm. to just be clear and say, as a pastor I serve in a priestly role, and again I think that's something we as an evangelical pastors don't often embrace. Okay, say, kind of want to Scott, be a friend. Sorry to interrupt, yeah. but but say yeah. that priestly role idea. Explain that to our listeners. What do you mean by that? Good, yeah, yeah. That sense of, I mean, obviously, a pastor, we're a shepherd, we're a preacher, we're a teacher, but that priestly role of the intermediary, uh, that uh, intermediary between God and the individual, of hearing their confession, bringing it to the Lord, and then speaking the message of God back to them. And so, I really embraced that idea of I'm not just here as an active listener. I'm here in a priestly role, hearing your heart, guiding you in prayer, and then speaking back to you. Often the words of scripture uh, of just saying, God has heard your prayer. He knows your heart. And I want you to heal, uh, to hear and feel his forgiveness today. Uh, that as you have the son, you have that forgiveness and, and to really speak that. And that was a that was very powerful, um, and I think that was something I even really learned just as a pastor of being okay in embracing that uh, that intermediary role as the as a as a priestly intercessor. Boy, that is good stuff, Scott. I want to emphasize that, especially if our listeners come from a, as you said, maybe an evangelical or what is sometimes known as kind of a low church tradition. 
Uh, we have, in some cases, uh, de-emphasized the idea of the priest. But rather than none of us being priests, uh, scriptures, especially Hebrews, says that we're all priests, right? We all can serve this That's role right. of intermediary, the Holy One to, the, to another, to our fellow brother and sister in Christ. Absolutely. That's true. And whether you have whether you hold the title chaplain or pastor, uh, you're right, Lynn, it's the, the priesthood of all believers. And and uh, Peter writes that in, in his letter to the church of saying that we've all been appointed as as a, a kingdom of priests. Um, so I would encourage even your listeners that that maybe don't have that pastoral role. Um, if you're in that position at the bedside and you just sense the prompting of the Holy Spirit and it really seems like that person that you're visiting, whether they're, uh, uh, you know, on the on their deathbed or not, but they're just at that moment to say, you know, can I lead you in prayer? Can I intercede for you? Uh, I think is is so important because uh, it's that idea again that we talked about of, of relieving spiritual pain and anxiety and suffering, and uh, that that allows you to really lead people to a place of freedom, a place of peace. Uh, a place where they can really uh, experience the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Good stuff. Oh, my goodness. So if, if you're hearing this, if you are, are or currently or maybe have been in situations in which you are uh, talking with friends or family members that are at this edge of eternity, as we've been discussing, understanding your own role as a priest is that's that's worth the wait right there, Scott. Uh, that that each yeah. of us are equipped to do that uh, and to be that for one another. Uh, your story of the uh, the World War II veteran gave me chills. That is uh, <laughs> that's good stuff. Oh <laughs> man, yeah, so so many, yeah, good. And 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 there's been several times when I've been present and in the middle of a prayer or singing a hymn or reading scripture that the patient has passed. Mm-hmm. Um, Wow. You know, we embrace this as believers that the that the word has power, that the word of God has power. But I've definitely experienced that, that I'll be in the middle of reading from First uh, Corinthians 15 uh, in the middle of reading Psalm 23. And uh, I, I remember one one patient that uh, uh, his wife and I were there bedside and uh, we sang it is well with my soul. And as we finished that fourth verse. We looked up and the patient had stopped breathing and they had passed while we were singing. Um, so there, there is a power and a presence and a peace that comes through God's word, through prayer, um, through singing of hymns uh, that we really can minister. Even when it feels like we're doing something very simple, uh, the impact is profound. Let's look at the alternative for a moment. If um, I, I, I relate as someone in ministry to what you're describing of those moments in which the, the, the air is thick, you know, and the presence of the spirit is palpable, but you also have situations where in these situations, um, someone continues to resist, uh, they continue to fight, um, strong will to the end. (laughs) So uh, what, what did you say, or how do you handle those kinds of situations? Yeah, those are those are more of a challenge for sure, uh, especially when I'm coming in. And uh, and of course, the most challenging is when I've, I've had a patient that might be unconscious and there's really not much that I can gather from them. Um, you know, I, I think of one that was a particular challenge where the whole hospice team had come in and this individual was really struggling like they just they just couldn't relax their their body was ready to go. Um, they were at the end, but they were. Um, they were stiff. They were uh, agitated. Uh, they just couldn't settle down. So the team brought me in and I began to pray, uh, to sing, to read scripture, and just nothing was really working. And this was a very interesting one. And the, the, the son of the patient was there and he pulled me out to the hallway and he said, um, Pastor, I so appreciate you being here, but um, you really need to understand uh, my mom was not a nice person. And she made a lot of enemies. I said, oh, really? And she said, uh, yeah, you know, he was, uh, she was even talking to me a few weeks ago that she had a sister. And right before her sister died, she and the sister got in a big fight over a piano. And who was going to get to inherit this piano, right? Mm-hmm. 
And that, that was like, that was the last thing is they, they eventually ended up not speaking and then the sister died. Oh no. And he said, my mom has even talked about, she's dreading seeing this sister on the other side. And, um, Len, you're right. There, there is a qualitative difference when you're in the room and someone is facing eternity that doesn't know the Lord, that doesn't know where they're going, that doesn't have an assurance of salvation. And in her case, there was, there was actually a look of fear. There was a look of anxiety on her face. And as much as I, I did try to pray and do the things that I could do, um, that was a very difficult one. The whole team, you know, talked about, uh, you know, boy, that was really a challenge. And I was even able to kind of say to the team, Hey, take care of things. <laughs> if, yeah. if you've got issues between other people, I mean, you see that Jesus admonishes that in the, in the uh, sermon on the Mount. If you remember, you have something against your brother, take care of that. Leave your gift at the altar, go be reconciled and then come back. Um, that's one of those questions that I found coming up, you know, as an eternity question, not only what is beyond, is God there? Uh, what is heaven like? But questions of, oh, who am I going to see? Because I've got some stuff that I didn't take care of here. And uh, so th those often came up. Now, now one patient that I did have, this was a, a cancer patient. And I came and, and she really had no, no faith system at all. So I was able to um, if I could, you know, I had to make sure that if there was some resistance, I couldn't proselytize. I couldn't just say, well, here's, you know, a Christian understanding of this, but right. I could answer questions. So if I asked good questions and brought that in, mm. I could say something like, well, would you like to know what I believe? Or would you like to know what the Bible says about that? And if they said yes and gave me permission, then I could you know, move forward carefully. Um, again, not looking to, to, to just be outright evangelistic because that wasn't the role that I had. But if that patient opened the door, then I could share. So I had this one lady and uh, she was there. She had a cancer diagnosis. Her, her uh, daughter was actually present and we were talking through. She was someone that had, had a very, very hard life. And, and so we were talking about some of those things that, that could relieve that uh, anxiety and said, well, would you like to know what scripture says about that? And she said, oh yeah, I've never really read the Bible, but I've always wondered. So I was able to read some passages about the forgiveness of the Lord, read some passages about, uh, about really experiencing new life in Christ on the inside, regardless of whether our body is wasting away, we can be renewed in the spirit. And she said, oh, that just sounds amazing. Uh, is there, can, can you tell me about that? And I was able to lead her to the Lord right there in that hospice situation. Wow. Her, her daughter is listening in and said, well, pastor, would, would that apply to me too? Absolutely. So I shared with her and, uh, and then, and then she said, well, what do I do now? And I said, <laughs> well, let's talk about this. Um, have you ever been baptized? And no, I haven't. So we actually talked about what baptism means. And I said, even in a hospice situation, you can celebrate new eternal life in Christ through the sacrament of baptism and through all that it means. It means being raised to new life. So I actually had the privilege then. I, I shared that with, with her. The daughter said, well, could I do that as well? Then they called me later that night and said, we shared about your visit with uh, with my brother, he wants to be baptized too. Oh my goodness. So I had the privilege then of baptizing a mom and her daughter and her son uh, all before she passed away of cancer. Wow. And to lead all of them into that and to to have the opportunity to share this is now an eternal bond that you have that goes even deeper than your genetic bond. Uh, and uh, that that for me that was the probably the highlight of my hospice chaplaincy. I, I imagine so. Oh, what a story, Scott. Yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> let me circle back here. I, I said earlier in the show that I wanted to make sure to leave time at the end to talk about more of a kind of a how-to or some prescriptions that you might offer folks. Uh, so maybe stepping yeah. away from, um, you know, kind of the moment of eternity or the deathbed and kind of thinking at a more broad level about this question of eternity. Um, someone may be listening and, and perhaps they have had a conversation about eternal things, but not in eternal contexts. 
you know, and so uh, what are what are some good questions to pick up on what you said a second ago there? Uh, what are some good questions that you might ask that might open the door as, as opposed to kind of coming in with statements? You're coming in with a more inquisitive or curious kind of approach. And how can you open up the conversation that way? Right. Good. Yeah. So many things I, I think just beginning with that idea of, you know, finding out what they believe of what do you believe happens when you die? Um, do you believe in a, a spiritual world? Do you believe that there is a God? Do you believe that there's anything beyond this life? Those are kind of good introductory questions to sort of see where they're at. Uh, a lot of my patients that had at least some Christian background, it was very interesting to find, even if they had left the faith as an older person, uh, which is interesting because we're in the middle of kind of this ex-evangelical thing where a right. lot of you know, people in their 20s and 30s are walking away. It was amazing how many of them went back to their childhood faith and said, well, here's what I remember from Sunday school. Here's what I remember my parents taught me. And so there was kind of that regressive nature of going back. And even some of my my Alzheimer's patients could remember their Sunday school lessons when they were six and seven years old. It was wow. really quite interesting. Um, so I would kind of find out, you know, what are some things that they believe? Now, some of my more... Um, uh, a little more secular, materialistic patients would say, well, I'm not sure that God exists and I'm not really, I, I believe in God as a creator. So frequently we'd come back into that idea of a creator. Mm -hmm. So those kinds of, if that, if I felt like that was that, then I would ask some questions about, well, then what, what do you believe in? Because one way or another, you know, they, they would often say, well, I'm not a person of faith or I'm not a person of, of religion. I said, well, recognize that everybody has to put their faith in something that whether you buy even a, an evolutionary understanding of how the world came to be there's still gaps there and you have to kind of put your faith in the science it doesn't answer all the questions right. so then i kind of bring it back to well you've got a you got one worldview where we're just here by chance and when we die there's really nothing and really all you can kind of hope for is to sort of pass on your DNA and maybe your family name survives for a little bit. There's one, there's one kind of worldview. Another worldview is a, is a creator that loves you, made you for a purpose, uh, offered his son so that you could have a relationship with him, uh, that you can be present with him uh, in an intermediary heaven and, and then at, at his return be raised and spend eternity with him in a renewed and restored creation. Um, for me, that sounds like a much better story. Uh, that sounds like a much more uh, exciting reality to live into. And, and so those are some of the things people, if they said, well, I'm not a person of faith, I'd kind of flip that on them and say, well, you're putting your faith in something. That's right. Yeah. So let's really think about what that is. And, and I, I, I didn't convince everybody, you know, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> But um, but if I could get them to kind of admit that of you might claim to be atheist or agnostic, it really often meant I've got an issue with God that I've never resolved. Right. So those would be some of the things I also would dig into. I'd ask the question of tell me a time where something happened that made you angry with God. Yes. And then we dig into that. That is a great question, Scott. It's it's interesting. Prior to the show, Josiah and our producer, for those who are tuning in a little bit late, and your son, we were talking yeah. about Pascal's wager, and because I yes. had mentioned at one point this idea that well, why not believe? It's better to believe than to not believe because the <laughs> the the equation is better. Uh, that's but, right. But you know that's kind of detached. You know, it's lofty. It's philosophical. Um, and yeah. to your point, to your very good point just now, most of the time, there's something that's not lofty. There's something that's very personal. There's some loss, some anger uh, that is behind that, you know, but there's you know, behind the fear or the resistance uh, to eternal questions. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, Pascal's Wage is a, a great uh, example of, of exactly that. You know, you're, you're betting on something. And when you talk about the eternity question of what is beyond and uh, you're, you're putting your faith, something is there. And uh, I'd much rather believe in a, a, a God of hope than hopelessness yes. and to have a better picture uh, of the end there for sure. And I think even, you know, as we think about it, 
theologically coming from a, a Wesleyan perspective where God is not the, the one who's causing all of these things. You know, we frequently would come back to that Romans 8 passage of, of yes. we believe that God causes all things to work together for good. You know, the, the period is not there. God causes all things. There you go. Just accept it. But rather recognizing we live in a world that has fallen from the goodness and the perfection that God created. So when we experience cancer and Alzheimer's and accidents and war and guilt, these are the result of a fallen world. These are not things that God created, not thing that God, things that God causes, but a God of love and mercy is able to bring good even out of those things. So that, you know, those are the conversations of the young lady that said, why did God give my grandpa cancer? Say, well, let's back up. God doesn't give anybody cancer. Cancer is a result of a fallen world and it breaks God's heart that cancer exists. And his desire then is to somehow bring good out of this situation. So how can we pray into that and look with hope for the goodness that God has? That is so good. Scott, thank you for your time with us today, your perspective, your wisdom and experience uh, at Death's Door and in all the ministry work you do. Uh, if you're listening today and you are in the Pacific Northwest, I really encourage you to check out Eagle Nazarene Church, which is where Scott is headed here uh, very soon. W uh, have you moved yet? What is uh, What's happening here? Not, not yet. I'm right in between. So uh, okay. uh, October 23rd was my last Sunday at Lakewood Nazarene in Denver, Colorado as the lead pastor. Uh, November 15th will be my first day at Eagle Nazarene uh, there in the Boise area. So, uh, uh, so I'm just in, the, in between in the transition, uh, packing boxes and uh, oh getting my. ready to yeah. relocate. Uh, which uh, which I'm excited. I've I've pastored in Oregon, so going back to the Pacific Northwest is uh, is exciting for me. Well, thanks for taking time out of your busy transition schedule right now to be with us today, Scott. For sure, glad to do it. Thank you, Len. Very very appreciative of the opportunity. All right, we're going to transition here. Our show is going to go a little bit longer than normal today because we have a special launch day guest today. Technically, the launch day was yesterday. But uh, we're here taking advantage of our live broadcast to bring on our Invite Press author, Michael Agnew. Michael, join us. What's up, Lynn? How are you? Friend, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Doing so good. It's so good to see you. Yesterday, of course, was the launch of your first book, Through the Storm. Was. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. It was awesome. It's been a, a long time coming and uh, just crazy that now uh, I have... A physical book in hand and I can uh, yeah it's been a dream of mine and I'm super thankful just from all of the feedback from everybody and yeah it's been really really cool so tell us a, a story from yesterday and you get any neat uh, responses from folks uh, words of encouragement yeah uh, yeah it's well it's funny I uh, I've spent the last nine years at st. Andrew and I recently uh, switched to another church and so in this whole writing thing i've just been like all right god i'm gonna put it all in your hands whatever happens happens knowing that a lot of my people of my relationships that i've spent um while i still have those friendships those relationships you know life has changed and there have been so many people that whether people from high school people that um i met at random conferences that i guess followed me on on social media that i haven't talked to since then um but i've had more strangers or more just people that I haven't really connected with in a handful of years just reach out. Um, oh, that's great. And which has been super cool, super cool. And a lot of people that know me as like the stuttering guy, um, just kind of, yeah, just boosted me up and just, uh, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a, a very special time. We have a video. Is that correct? I think we have a, we, a clip to show. We do. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's let's start with that. So this is uh, one of your poems. You are known for those who don't know you. Uh, as a spoken word guy, yeah, so yeah. Uh, before I guess did, did you start writing poems first, or or doing spoken word as a result of that, or what's the order there? I have really well, like since I was like twelve years old, I really like started rapping, and so uh, whether okay. it, if you call rapping poetry, you can, I guess. Um, but yeah, so but the spoken angle of it has always kind of been uh, my lane, and as time has gone on, I realized that. Uh, I've never like thought I was Robert Frost or Langston Hughes or anything like that. Um, and so like in my mind, that's what like a poet is. And I'm just like the regular guy that uh, um, 
I kind of, yeah, doing youth ministry have just kind of spoken word has been something to kind of summarize a 20 minute sermon in like a two minute spoken word thing. Nice. And, uh, and so it's been cool to kind of recognize myself more as a poet and just, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's been which fun. Is what you've always been all along. You just yes. didn't embrace the word, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. All right. Let's, um, let's check out this video. We've got Josiah, you want to roll? I look at my phone where I have hundreds of contacts, yet at the same time, I have no one to contact. So I scroll on Instagram for a way to have the time pass as the world moves around. I'm like a sun in a time lapse because the world keeps spinning, yet I never move. Snapchat after Snapchat alone in my room, looking at all the cool things my friends get to do, becoming more and more lonely the more that I scroll through. We'll have snap streaks for weeks. We Instagram our peaks, but when the low times come, no one gets a peek. We sit there and weep, and this hole gets so deep. Depression piles on and there is no release. L after L, defeat after defeat. Alone on the sea, a ship without its fleet. So we find things for relief, a person between the sheets. Pills, we try to sneak, we just want to find some peace. We'll get high, we'll get low, whatever to fill that need. We just want to belong, we want to feel complete. So we rinse and repeat, trying to itch that need. But the itch we cannot meet when we're alone and obsolete. We live in a world where technology connects us further than any time in human history. Yet isolation and loneliness is so much greater than it used to be. And honestly, it's not some mystical mystery. We make connections without establishing roots. So the winds of the culture blow us away before we bear any fruit. Literally starving ourselves in our constant pursuit of what's trending, of what's trendy. We're pretending, overextending. No one is real. We just cover up our problems, suppressing what we feel. We've traded the fulfillment of God for cultural appeal. And we're left with, with an emptiness that no visco filter can heal. All of this scrolling and swiping, yet we're still stuck in the hamster wheel. Whenever you're stressed out, alcohol doesn't fix it. Smoking only makes your problems seem more distant. But whenever that high leaves, they come back with a vengeance. Try as you might, you cannot resist it. And you'll get pulled back further into all of your problems because there's only one thing that can truly solve them. Throwing them at the feet of the one who is sovereign, filling you with peace that can fully dissolve them. But you must put him first. Don't leave him on the sideline, cast off as a reserve. As you let your worldly pleasures take their turn, submit to his calling and let his passion burn so bright in your soul that all of your loneliness is finally cured. Goodness, Michael. Boom, wow. boom. Woo, man. Well, <laughs> yeah. So, stuff. Yeah, so that's obviously working with teenagers, loneliness. And and I wrote this before COVID. So, I mean, like this is this theme of, the of yeah, just loneliness and depression and just kind of mm. being connected because of our phones and, and because of technology. Um, that loneliness is kind of magnified because we feel like we know so much. And so that's kind of like why that happens. Um, so I wrote that. Yeah. Like uh, before COVID and wow. I've had so many people reach out about that poem and a few others um, to where, yeah, like, there are people who like for bo go to like Boston university, write college papers on a modern current poet and will pick that poem because they saw it on like YouTube sometime. Mm -hmm. um, and so one day it just clicked like, hey, if somebody's writing a college paper on the spoken word that I did, it could probably be in, in like in written form and be just as good. So, uh, yeah. Yes. So, yeah. So that was a cool, uh, a cool turning point for sure. And, and we should mention that you have a YouTube channel. You just referenced I, that. I do. Yeah. 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 What, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's that's where I got started. So it's just Michael Agnew spoken word. Um, if you just type in Christian spoken word, one of my videos the algorithm just worked well. And so I, I have this fear spoken word video that has a, a couple hundred thousand views, which is super cool. Um, so wow. yeah, but yeah, I've had that channel for man, maybe probably seven years now. So it's been, uh, it's been a cool thing, but yeah. So as now my life stage has changed now, I'm like a dad of, of a two small boys. And so really I used to travel and kind of speak more, like a lot more. Um, mm -hmm. And now being a dad in like home life and plus COVID was like kind of hard. So I was trying, yeah, so just trying to engage on social media or uh, in like written form more. So it's been a cool, maybe, yeah, just kind of 
this kind of next life stage of mine for sure. Let's uh, do another poem if you have a time. Well, there may be one that you could read yourself. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. One from the book. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'll do one called Through the Storm because the okay. book is called Through the Storm. All right. Great. All right. In times in times of trouble, I in times of trouble, I put my worries on the creator of all of the created. Whenever my presence seems like it's about to vanish, I I remember that God is the one who made it, and all of my worrying won't save it. Whenever a ship is whenever a ship is, is out at sea and the water is fully raging, sailors don't try to to tame it. They ride out the waves knowing that if they push through, then they are going to make it. They know what is in their control and what isn't. Their spirit might bend, but it but it will not break. They are resilient. Whenever the fear comes, they acknowledge their feelings and then stand to face their fear un, until the storm is finished. Because the thing about storms is that there is a calm that precedes it and then it always returns like before. The winds might the winds might whip you back and, and forth and death seems to move towards you. But as, as long as, as you hold your course, the calm is coming and peace will be restored. Mm. So, so that poem really, yeah, really just shaped a lot of this book and has shaped a lot of my life. I think that, uh, uh, yeah, just the, the picture of, of a storm, like in the moment, a storm seems crazy and seems like your world is being shifted and like you're going to die or, or like just be lost at sea but a storm is a temporary thing and while it feels like it might go on for forever um there's a calm that happens before the storm and that same calm will will uh, be there after that storm um and so really the yeah um as long as a sailor knows that they um are will hold their course and so what is like holding your course and is going to get you through that storm mine is jesus and mine is like uh, yeah, my hope is in Jesus and my hope is Jesus is the anchor through all of, of those storms. And, um, so yeah, so while this book isn't specifically a Christian, like you don't have to be a Christian to have this book or to, to get something out of this book. Um, I think hope is what gets us through storms. And for me, the greatest of hope, uh, obviously is, uh, yeah, is Jesus. That is good, good stuff, Michael. Thank you. And, and we should mention, too, that the book is just simply gorgeous. It's just so good to look at, isn't it? It is. It is. No, you're, uh, yeah, uh, your team cooked up some 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 incredible things. Yeah, I've had a, a lot of people comment on, uh, yeah, just like a lot of the pages uh, uh, are black. And, and so it's like black uh, paper color with like white text. Um, and then Diana or like, people on like uh your team yeah. uh it illustrated it and and one of the coolest things about poetry and just about this book too is is like i might write something without always being fully aware of how uh like sometimes there's like deeper meanings that i honestly don't even like pick up on and so yes. diana like read this book and she was like michael there, there's no chapters there's basically just like a start point and like an end point and it's basically your life story there's ups there's downs but there's no like you didn't section it like it off based on themes and so uh she used throughout every single page is this like lines kind of thread scribble um throughout a lot of these pages and so she kind of used that thread picture uh and so there's a lot of different illustra illustrations throughout that book that tie into this thread that's woven throughout every single page and just yes. how uh, God is the thread that's woven throughout all of our pages and every high and every low, God uh, God is there and he's um, shaping that um, and using it uh, for good. Um, yes. Is, yes, yes, It was, yeah, like a, was really like the first time where I was like, all right, you took these words that I put on paper and just brought them 10 more levels above. It was very, very cool. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. You know, if, if you, we encourage obviously to get a copy of the book, we have it on ebook, but this is one of those books to your point that really the, the physical book is what you yeah, need yeah. because the, the visual experience is so strong and the thread, the through thread of that storm that's present throughout is such a strong metaphor for Absolutely. all you've been talking about. Uh, so the book is available on inviteresources.com, but also on Amazon. And we always encourage people after it's launched, if you want to go to Amazon, that's great because what happens is it elevates it 
in space. And so I think your book is a top 100 book now in poetry, uh, Christian poetry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on Amazon, uh, this trending well this week. So That's awesome. uh, yeah. it's pretty exciting to see. Yeah. Yeah, so just thank you for your time today and thank you for writing this and for seeing this through. Absolutely, Lynn. But yeah, thank you for the opportunity and, and yeah, for being there every step of uh, the way and helping make this dream happen. All right. All right. Thank you. So y'all check out Michael Agnew. A couple of the books that are coming up, uh, we've got Come Alive, our third Come Alive volume. This one on Proverbs, the book of wisdom. This comes out in just a couple of weeks. And then tell us, uh, oh, oh, wait, before I move on, we have the uh, special pre-order incentive right now for uh, Come Alive. Uh, if you go to pre-order it on our website, you'll have a chance to win Omaha Steaks, an assortment package valued at $200. Uh, I hear Omaha Steaks are amazing, but since I work here, I can't get the freebie, unfortunately. Uh, still trying to work my way around that, but I can't. Uh, also, Telos, uh, the book that I wrote with Leonard Sweet, last week's guest. If you didn't catch that, we encourage you to go on our website and listen to that. Uh, that book comes out here in December, which we are, of course, excited about. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you to Scott. Thank you to Michael. And we will see you again next week on the Live Like Jesus podcast. Thank you.